very honestly, if you ask me what I want to do exactly, I will not be able to tell you because I have no idea. But how I'm going to do it, the journey is going to be very interesting, and I know that. And whatever it's going to be, whatever I end up, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic, and I already know that. Welcome to the podcast, being all of us. It's great to have you here. My name is Brian David George, and my mission is to inspire you to become an agent of change in your own life through the stories of people like you from around the world who are on a journey of self-discovery and inclusion. I believe that these conversations will lift you up and help you to uncover your potential and to become your higher self. So sit back, go for a walk, a run, a drive, whatever works for you, and enjoy some time to get to know more about yourself. Welcome to the Being All of Us podcast. My name is Brian David George, and today I am joined by Hamna Tarek. Hamna, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. You and I know each other from when you were in Barcelona studying. That was a few years ago. And, and you've actually, you haven't stopped moving since then. I feel like <laughs> when I see where you've been, you've been here, there, and everywhere. I would love for you to tell us, I mean, basically this is about you, so... Would you tell us about your journey? Tell us about your story. Who are you, Hamna Tarek? Hamna Tarek. Oh, that's a loaded question. Right? Um, who am I? On the moving question, I am someone who loves to move around a lot. I do not like being in one place. I feel like for me, as an extrovert, that doesn't work out. And I like meeting new people. So if I'm in one place, then I would probably just get exhausted and I would want to meet other people. So on the moving question, yes, I've moved around a lot. I was born and raised in Lahore, Pakistan. So that was, I mean, I didn't move then. <laughs> that was the first 19 years of my life. I, <laughs> I really couldn't move. And then I came to Hartford, Connecticut in the States for college, at Trinity College. That's where I went for my undergrad. And I was very happy to move, but I soon realized that Hartford's a very small city and Trinity's a very small campus. So for me, that was, I wouldn't say that was suffocating, but it did make me feel a little bit exhausted at times because I had studied abroad. I had planned to come abroad, which was the United States, to travel, to be free and liberated. And Trinity gave me that to an extent, or Hartford gave me that to an extent, but not as much as I would have liked. Coming here as an international student without a car, not knowing the transportation system, not knowing how to take the bus or the train, or cannot afford to take a plane, I was just felt sort of trapped. Because I saw my friends who would just, you know, take their cars and go up to Boston, New York. And I, I just didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to make those type of friends. I don't know which one had a car. So I had realized very early on, I would say by my first semester at Trinity, I had realized that I love this place, but this is not where I want to be for the next four years. So I need something different. And I decided to study abroad. I had no idea where I would be going. I just knew that I would be leaving in some capacity. And I didn't know any Spanish. Spanish did not like particularly interest me very honestly. I had already fulfilled my language requirements, so I didn't really need Spanish to, you know, learn the language and whatever. But, but I don't even know how Barcelona came about. I remember students talking to each other about which is the which is the best program, and someone told me, oh, Barcelona is a very popular one. And I said, oh, Barcelona sounds nice. I've never been to Europe. And I can't speak Spanish though. And I remember talking to a few friends of mine who had been to Barcelona and they said, well, you don't need to speak Spanish. Everyone knows English. 
I said, okay, I'll, I'll go there. I mean, I know English, they know English. And I was wrong. <laughs> you need to know a little bit of Spanish at least. Because I decided to homestay. So I decided to live with a Spanish family, a Spanish-speaking family, a local family. And I don't know what I was thinking, very honestly. I was very nervous. I'm like, oh, they're, prob- they're definitely going to speak English with me and they're going to teach me Spanish. <laughs> well, that didn't happen. They spoke Spanish with me and I learned Spanish, which was the hard way to learn Spanish, but I wouldn't have it any other way. So I went to Barcelona and in Barcelona, I realized I can literally travel throughout Europe. And I know a lot of students who travel to Europe from America to study abroad, but they do it every weekend. They would like, you know, touch down in a different country. And I very honestly did that for about the first three weeks or first four weeks of my study abroad, because I was like, I will never get this opportunity again. I'm going to go throughout Europe and I'm going to meet new people. But by my fourth week, just traveling to these different cities, I realized I don't even know Barcelona. I still don't know Spanish. I don't know the language. I don't know the people I go to school with at UPF, Universidad Pompeo Fabra. So I I realized that I wanted to stay in Barcelona for most of my time, unless opportunity was kind enough to pay for a trip somewhere else that I would go. But otherwise, I stayed in Barcelona. I traveled throughout Barcelona and I had the time of my life just meeting new people in different pockets. And I know that, again, like I'm, there are certain stereotypes associated with American students who study abroad that they try to like stick together and they're always like, you know, with their friends that they travel with and they all live together. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I chose Barcelona as well. I had a few friends who were going in the Rome program. And of course, like I said, like Europe interested me equally. It wasn't like Rome would be very different from Barcelona for me at that point. But I decided to go somewhere where I didn't know a single person because I just felt very exhausted by Trinity. So I just wanted to meet a plethora of new people. And my best friends from that program were actually people who were in the Trinity delegation, but I hadn't interacted with them on campus, you know? So I really made an effort to try to talk to new people and try to just sort of steer away with, stayed away from just hanging out with a few people. I remember I made a few friends at the university. My host parents, my host mom, daughter had a host son and he had friends and we all became friends as well so there was just so many people that I was meeting and then I had to move back to Connecticut and then I was like oh no I had the time of my life and now I have to move back to a place that again I do love in several ways but it did not make me feel good socially especially Mm -hmm. yeah move back and realized this is not going to happen. For that summer, I moved to DC then, to intern. Okay. Came back to Trinity, the pandemic started, moved to Pakistan. <laughs> From Pakistan, I moved back to DC where I do my full-time job here. So I don't know if I answered your question as to who I am, but this was sort of like a very confusing answer to, this is who I am. I like being in new places and I like meeting new people. You know, the question about who... Who are you? It's a very strange question because it's almost impossible to answer. And I guess the question of, you know, what's your story? This is definitely a story that I think represents, you know, represents your life, the way that you move around and the way that you enjoy meeting new people and doing new things and, and having new experiences. And one of the things that I, that I noticed that you said earlier, and it's probably true about all of your moves is like you were talking about, you felt free and liberated. Uh, like every, I, I don't know, could you speak a bit more about this free and liberated Hamna and how, how she becomes freer the more she moves? 
maybe? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good question. For me, mobility was always an issue. Just growing up in Lahore, growing up in my family, I I couldn't drive. I Whenever I went, my mother drove me everywhere. And I was just living in one city for 19 years. And for me, mobility was a huge issue because I just couldn't go anywhere if I wanted to. So when I came to the States, one of the reasons why I wanted to study abroad was so I could literally walk on the streets. And it sounds, it sounds very awkward or weird, but I remember in Lahore, I couldn't even walk on the streets because the people would harass women. So I had never walked on my street ever. 19 years I lived in Lahore. I, would, I had always been in a car. I had walked in my school, but there was no way for me to go for a run, for example, if I didn't go to a gym, but I didn't go to a gym. So that was definitely an issue. And I, for me, like going abroad was just just being free, like just like, you know, just walking around and running and feeling the wind on my face, which sounds like very, you know, small things for people. But for me, that was like my top priority if I wanted to study abroad and go somewhere. And of course, Connecticut's lovely and it's, it's a lovely place to do that. But the mobility issue still remain the same where I'm like, I've been given this opportunity and for the four years, I'm just going to be here in this town and never going to leave. It's not much so, different from being where you were 19 exactly. years before that. Exactly. Right? So again, the first time I actually like felt liberated that I could do what I want, I could sit in a bus, take a train to wherever was in Barcelona because I was very fortunate that my financial aid package also was very generous and they were able to give me some money to go to Barcelona. So I could use that money to sort of travel around a little bit to meet new people that way. And I feel like Trinity, the people who work in the Trinity office were also very clear about how we could do these things. Like I felt like Trinity, the campus itself in Connecticut, I wasn't really sure how to navigate the transportation system. Whereas as soon as I landed in Barcelona, I felt very comfortable with the whole transportation system. So that's how I felt liberated, just to be able to do what I wanted to do. Also, I was alone in a lot of ways, right? Like I said, I made friends in the Trinity delegation, but I was very alone as well, usually, because I came here alone. I didn't come with a friend or a best friend who would live with me and live through this with me. I met those women through the program. So um, for me, being alone was very important and just doing my own thing and discovering it by myself because I felt like a lot of American colleges, they really like spoon feed their students in, to a very large extent. And that's what American students who travel abroad expect, right? They travel abroad and they're like, no, tell us everything and do everything for us. For me, I did not want that. I really wanted to do everything for myself for the first time in my life. And I did. And I, that's what I meant by liberated, just to be alone and figure out things by your own self. For example, now that I'm in D.C., I didn't know anyone in D.C. when I moved here. I live with random people who are lovely people and we're very close now. They're my roommates. And I, I figured it out on my own. I go on walks every day and I go for runs and it's just my life. You know, there's no one saying that this is what you need to do every morning. You know, as I'm listening to you speak about that, I'm imagining what it's like for you to deal with the fear that's very human that shows up when we are faced with that opportunity of going somewhere new where we don't know anyone. You know, how, how have you, what's your journey with your own fear been like and how have you overcome it? Or maybe you could talk about some of the times that it really got the best of you and how you got past that. That's a really good question. And I've actually talked to um, a few friends about this when I first moved to the States, that I didn't have any fears. I came here to get rid of my fears. I was fearful for the first 19 years of my life. I was done being fearful. I am alone here. I can do whatever I want. And I will, 
I mean, for lack of a better phrase, die with a smile on my face <laughs> if I die during this process because I've just been very coddled. I've lived in one house for 19 years. We didn't move ever. We did the same things every single year. We had a routine and nothing would, was different. And for me, that's not how my mind worked. For a lot of my friends back home, yes, it did because that's how we were trained and raised. But for me, always, I was just like, no, this is not going to be my life. This is not going to be my life. This is, this is not it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm hearing, ah, oh, this is so powerful because it's no matter where we're from, we're born inside of a story that tells us who we can be. Yeah. And it's really hard. I can you know, speak for me. It, it's really hard for me sometimes to let that story go and say, okay, actually, I get to decide what kind of person I'm going to be in the world. It's not, I don't have to live the life that I was told I should. And that's what I get when I hear you. And that's so amazing that you, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what, what that experience was like for you the first time you realized that you didn't have to believe that your life was going to be the way you were told it was going to be. It comes at a cost, right? Because there are people who have expectations from you and especially if you want to be as free or liberated as I wanted to be, there were judgments passed and there were friends of mine who I stopped talking to because I was like, you know what? You, I don't think you should be in my life anymore. And they were like, you can't just do that. And I said, I get one life and I <laughs> spent it 19 years the way I didn't want to spend it. So now I will do what I want to do. So it does come at a cost where I had to decide from, a very, from very early on that I wouldn't let relationships bound me anywhere. So for example, I remember when I graduated from college and my friends and I were talking and a couple of them were like, oh, we're going to move with our significant others or our partners are moving. That was, I was like, why? Why don't you just do that? So for them, it was a concern. I'm not judging them for it. I feel like everyone's different. But for me, it was never a concern to move anywhere my family would be or partner would be or whatnot because, because they had already lived a life of a lot of freedom growing up and I didn't. So for me, I was like, listen, that's happened. And now I have to live my life the way I want. Maybe 20 years from now, I'll meet someone and I'll be like, you know what? Maybe we should settle in the same place. But till then, I will try to enjoy as much as I can, travel as much as I can. If it's alone, it's alone. If it's with someone, they can join me. But it's, it, this is, I, I need to be the one leading the way. So it does come at a cost when you lose a lot of people along the way. And uh, when I hear you say that, I think when you lose, when you create space, in your life, because some people disappear, then new people enter, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. people who are more, uh, I don't know, more suited to help you grow, to help you move forward on the path, you know, on your, on your life path. It, it really, it really kind of goes back to the idea of you were given a story and you decided that was not the one that you were going to live. You're going to write your own story. Yeah. But of course there are times when fear did take the best of me. I remember after studying abroad in Barcelona for a semester, I had an opportunity to do another semester somewhere. And the friends I had made in Barcelona, they were all going to be studying abroad again. And for some reason, I had this fear of just being an international student. I said, no, I shouldn't be out of the country for more than a semester. Like there was no backing to this. There was no justification for this. But, and they were very surprised. They were like, you just had the time of your life. Just be here for another semester. I said, you're right but maybe I should just go back. Maybe this is too much fun. Maybe this is too good. Oh, This shouldn't be this good. Like I, I, I think I should just go back to Connecticut. Like I, I feel like I've done my time here. And as soon as I got back, I realized what a major mistake I had made. And I don't know how to justify that fear. I just felt like 
this was too good and I should just go back home because that's where I should be. Like you didn't deserve to have that much fun. Right? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I said to them. Like, I think I've, I think this was what, what it was. Like, it's only a semester for me, but you guys should go ahead and have wherever you're going and have more fun. But I think I shouldn't, I should just go back. Other people are allowed to enjoy themselves, but you're not, Tom, right? Not me. <laughs> it's amazing how we believe these stories about who we are and the way that we should live our lives. And it's so not true yeah. at all. No, they're not. You they're know, not. part of the story that we inherit is, is kind of our name. This is something I like to talk to people about. Uh, so I looked into the meaning of the name Hamna. And what I found, you can correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe you know or you don't know. Apparently, hamna means purple or black grape, so the a fruit, a berry, and some people can therefore also interpret it to mean sweet. I would love to know how that resonates with you, and if it's true or oh you know something God. else. That's so funny. I, and I've had this conversation with so many people because there's a hilarious story behind it. So when I was born, my parents wouldn't say this, but this is what happened. This is what I've heard. When I was born, they literally looked at my brother, whose name is Hamsa. And they were like, okay, we're just going to name her Hamna. Like there was no debate. There was no, you know, thinking Whoa. behind it. They were just like, oh, Hamna. And then no one ever thought of asking, wait, what does Hamna mean? No, they were just like, oh, her name is Hamna and this is it. So when I like, grew up and I was like 10, I was like, wow, what does my name mean? Because there were about uh, one Hamna in my entire school, one other Hamna. And I was like, this is a rare name. What does it mean? Like you guys must have really thought about it. They're like, no, we just saw Hamza. And then we we're like, oh, Hamna seems like a natural fit. Like, okay, but I'm sure it has a meaning, right? They're like, yeah, it means it means a beautiful bird in heaven. Okay. That's a very specific meaning, a beautiful bird in heaven. Anyway, long story short, I came to college. And you know how people ask you during orientation, like, what does your name mean? So I told them I'm a beautiful bird in heaven. And everyone was like, okay, like, we can't, you know, that's for sure she's not lying. And I remember my junior year in college. I was in Uber and the Uber driver looked back and said, why is your name Hamna? That's a very odd name. And he was Arab. And I said, well, it means a beautiful bird in heaven. And he started laughing. He literally was about to stop the car and laugh. He was laughing so hard. He's like, who told you that? Oh. And I said, well, my mom. And then he just, he just kept laughing. He had tears in his eyes at this point. He's like, you don't know what Hamna means? <laughs> and then I said, well, I'm sure it's something nice. And then he said, it means stress. Stress. In Lebanese, in Lebanese Arabic, when you're really stressed, when you have like a huge issue in front of you, you say, hamna, hamna. Oh. Like, this is such a big issue for me. I am so stressed, hamna. So he kept saying that. He's like, hamna, hamna. <laughs> and then I'm just like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I wonder why your parents named you that. And he just dropped me off. So, <laughs> and then you kept so thinking I, about it. Right? So, I, so I looked it up and he was absolutely right. In certain dialects of Arabic, Hamna means to be incredibly stressful. Wow. When you're incredibly stressed, you say Hamna. And that stayed with me for some reason because I am a very nervous person, which you might not be able to notice. But I'm always <laughs> like, I'm outspoken and confident. But I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like inside my inner voice, is like, calm down. It's okay. So I get that. But that's the story behind my name. It means to be stressed in some parts of the world. And I think it's, it's, a, I think it's interesting that my name means to be stressed because I'm trying to counter that. Maybe that's like your mission in life is to overcome the stress <laughs> right? of, of that thing. Like, you know, you inherited that. Your parents 
gave you that. And when you found out that it actually meant stressed, maybe that's kind of like an invitation to, to change something. I don't know. What yeah, do you think? I feel like I like being different because everyone's name usually means something positive. And my name means stressed, which I think is very interesting because this just makes me like sort of differentiate from everyone else. Like, look, my name has a negative connotation, but I'm still great. <laughs> so who wins? <laughs> One year. <laughs> That's it. I love it. I win. You know, I, I think sometimes it's really, I, I hear you talking about how sometimes you get stressed or you, you seem really confident and outspoken. And then on the inside, you're like, oh my God, you know, and stressed and and mm-hmm. I think these are the kind of moments when we realize that we can kind of feed off of inspiration to get beyond this, like the doubts that we have. So I would love to hear you talk about maybe some people that have inspired you in your life to maybe help you overcome those moments of, of doubt, of stress, or people that inspire you now. Yeah. I think Living the first dead. name. Living or dead. I think the first name that comes to mind and by far it's it's my mother and like I said I grew up in a very sort of secluded conservative environment where it was hard for women to achieve anything beyond just very basic education so I my mother was very well educated and she married my father who was far more conservative than she was so we grew up in a sort of mixed household where my mother had different beliefs than my father but of course my father's beliefs were sort of overpowering the whole household because he was like the head So I grew up in that sort of an environment where I saw like my mother sort of like trying to say something, but she wouldn't be able to. And then the reason why I started like the day I started looking up to her and started thinking that, okay, this is who I want to be, is that she left my father. She said, listen, I know it's going to be hard to be a single parent in Lahore and I'm going to be looked down upon, but this is not going to work out. So he, so they, they separated and uh, we chose to live with our mother and it's been fantastic ever since. I just saw her bloom and blossom and she had to fight so many battles to be a single woman in Pakistan. People would say the most atrocious things, but she would just respond with so much confidence and flair. She's like, yeah, I am. And I really enjoy it. I love it. <laughs> and she did, she was a single parent. So she worked for us and we started working as well at a very young age, my, my brother and I. And for me, it wasn't a problem working and earning my own money because I was like, I go home to a very happy family when my mother is happy. She's like, you know, we're all hanging out and we like watch movies together. So our life just changed completely when my mother decided to take that step for herself. And that really inspired me because that was a very, very tough step for her to take. But she took it not only in her own interest, but for our interest. I think definitely that's my mother who was the one who pushed me to study abroad as well, because I was very fortunate to get a scholarship to go to a private school in Lahore. And a lot of my friends in Lahore, a lot of my classmates were incredibly talented women. Just, I went to an all-girls school. Incredibly talented women, incredibly smart. 99% of their parents said, no, you can't study abroad. These women got into all these Ivy Leagues and on scholarships. And so every door was open for them because they deserve it. But their parents said, no, this is like, look down upon. We can't just send our daughter to another country. What will people say? And Mm. I remember when I got my Trinity decision, I didn't even think about my mom saying no. That wasn't a concern for me. My concern was like, hmm, how much financial aid did they give me? Should I negotiate my financial (laughs) Like For me, my debate was different. Right. And I realized that their debate was so tough and mine was in comparative. So sure, I didn't have the resources that they might have had. But my debate was so easy. I came home, I'm like, mom, I got into Trinity. My mom was celebrating. Everyone was celebrating. Like there was not even one thought like, oh, 
Hamna's going to go abroad alone? And that's what I'm so grateful for. So that's, I feel like definitely my mother is my number one. I wonder what you would say to maybe other young women in your position, like the, the, the other people from your school who got those opportunities and then didn't go, like, what would you say to them now, having the, had the experience that you've had? I don't even know. I feel, I feel terrible about the whole situation. Of course, some of them have done very, very well in their lives in Lahore and they've achieved whatever they wanted to achieve in that city or in, within Pakistan. But I, I know what I have. And maybe I haven't achieved as much, but I know what I've experienced. And what I've experienced is unparalleled to anything I would have experienced back home. I mean, experience, travel was important. Maybe, of course, maybe I don't do the best job in the world. Maybe I could have maybe even gotten a better education back home. Who knows? But my experience has just been unparalleled. My experience has been fantastic. I wouldn't change it for the world. So I, I would just tell them to stay put. Actually, some of them did study abroad for their masters, which I'm really happy about, really proud of them. But I honestly wouldn't even know what to say. When I left Lahore, I actually cut off a lot of people from my life because I decided that was the thing I wanted to do. I had been with these people for the past like 16 years at that point, 16 years of schooling with them. So I realized that I just needed to leave. So I cut off a lot of them, which was very selfish. And I understand that, but I wish them the best. That's all. And sometimes what some people see as selfish is actually a very wise decision for self-care. You know, what's it like for you? I, I'm curious, what's it like for you now when you go back to visit Lahore? It's very interesting because my brother moved as soon as I moved. So he moved to London. I moved to Connecticut and uh, my mother lives alone. So it's interesting because it's just me and my mom, which I absolutely enjoy. But like I said, I did not leave a lot of friends from high school. So it's, it's just me and my mom. And maybe there's a couple of people I would meet. But beyond that, no. Um, and I really enjoy that. That's all how I always wanted it. And we, and we just go around Lahore. We drive around. We go to malls. We do what people do. And we just talk and watch movies. And we're just very, very close. That, that's what we do. We meet a couple of relatives if need be. But beyond that, I don't do much. But I, when I go back to Lahore, I realized how privileged I am to study abroad. And this is not a dig at my city or my country. It's a beautiful country and I've achieved whatever I have because of that city. But I, I realized how trapped I would have felt if I had stayed. I look at people in my position and I realize that, okay, you might do a better job than I do, but you go home to your parents' house until you get married and when you go to your husband's house. And maybe that works for you, but that would have never, ever worked for me. That's that would not have your story. That is not my story. And I knew it from a young age that even if I'm on the streets, God forbid, they're going to be on the streets of somewhere where I feel liberated. So, <laughs> so yeah. I wonder if you know of specific, because, you know, when I listen to you speak about, about your story and the way that you just knew things to be the way your life was going to be, I find it very inspiring. And I wonder if you know people who you have inspired and if you, like, if people talk to you about the way that you changed their life or the way that you have changed the way they see their possibilities or their potential. I'd love to hear something about that. Oh, wow. How I've inspired people. Yeah. How, think of <laughs> someone that you know you've inspired. And I know it's not the kind of thing that we're used to talking about. Yeah. It's a little, you know, there's, I, when I have, when I have been asked this question, like the voice in my head is like, 
oh, you can't talk about that. That's horrible. And that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, yeah. Every, we yeah. are constantly inspiring people, whether we know it or not. So True. if you know absolutely. it, share it because that can just do good. No, abs- absolutely. Wow. That's, that's a very interesting question. And I mean, there have been points in my life, especially with Pakistani women who are studying abroad, sorry, in the States and Pakistani women who came, went to Trinity, they often told me that I'm not, I feel like you've carved a space here that it's hard for me to carve. I mean, Trinity is a very, I mean, you've been to Trinity. Yeah. It's a very homogenous college and it's hard as an international student with an accent to sort of carve out your own space. Even within international students, they're little bubbles, right? So like people from one nationality would hang out together versus instead of people from another nationality. So when I came to Trinity, I was one of two Pakistanis there. And that Pakistani was studying abroad. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, I, I realized that, okay, I will probably not be able to carve out my space if I just try to hang out with someone who looks like me. I have to do my own thing here. And I have to make friends and I have to be super outspoken. I remember I tried to join a sorority. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm like, I'm going to be a sorority girl. And then that did not go down well. Um, I, I tried to join all these different organizations. I tried to join a sport. I was like, I'm going to be friends with everyone. And, you know, some things worked out, some things terribly failed, and that's completely fine. But I met a lot of new people through it. So I think what really inspires me is when other people tell me that, oh, we saw you come into Trinity not knowing anyone in this whole damn country, honestly. I don't know anyone in the United States when I first came here. And you just you just made a space for yourself. You're like, no, I'm going to make the most of this. I, I am here and I want to... You know, I, I sacrificed so much to come here. So I need to, I need to make the most of this no matter what. So every morning I would wake up at Trinity and go like, it's a new day and this is going to be a great day. So, and I, for me, that was very natural. For me, I didn't think I was doing something that's inspiring to anyone. For me, I was like, listen, I'm here in America. I'm gonna it was make intuitive the most of it. for you. <laughs> right? Intuitive, yeah. But when I, so when I was a senior and there were other Pakistanis coming in to Trinity at that point, they told me that, hey, like, how did you do this? And I said, well, I just did this because I mean, what else would I do? I didn't want to be in my room sad and depressed all the time thinking about the fact that, oh, I have no friends here because it's hard to find friends at Trinity, let me tell you. I, you have to take those steps for yourself if you want to be happy. And that's hard. And that's probably sort of privileged of me to say, because I'm an extrovert and not everyone's an extrovert. But you have to do that for yourself if you want to, if you want to sort of like fulfill your college dream. For me, my college dream was that I was going to have a lot of friends. I was going to be in a sorority. I was going to sit on the quad and we're going to talk and drink beer. That never happened. And that's fine. Other <laughs> things happen. And that was completely fine for me, right? Because my college dreams were made out of Gossip Girl and <laughs> Little Liars and what. Because that's what I knew. Right. And then I came here. I'm like, oh. It's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that simple. And it's fine. It's not that simple. I'm glad I didn't do that. <laughs> so yeah, they often told me that it's it's hard for them to meet new people. So I tried to introduce them to new people, whatever. But I I, I was just like, listen, you're going to be here for four years and then you're going to leave. And no one's going to, no one's going to remember what you did here. It's fine. Like if you want to go crazy, go crazy. What's going to happen? Be in your limits, of course. But if you want to go crazy, say something, just do it. And you'll be gone one day. And you'll, you'll literally, we'll all literally be gone one day. Literally, you will all be gone. <laughs> we have this life. And so this is the, this is not like a practice life for the good one. Like this is the one that we have. Yeah. So we should, we should. Most of it's, it. yeah. Exactly. We can make this one count. So you inspired other Pakistani students after you. And what about other people like at maybe in 
So I can tell you maybe some of the things that I find inspiring about you. And then you can maybe <laughs> think about, you know, I think you talked about being very outgoing and, and it's, I'm pretty shy. Like I've always been a pretty shy person. I may not seem like it, but I have been a very shy person most of my life. And so when I see someone who's so willing to put herself out there and not be afraid of the consequences of just being you, I'm like, wow, you know, that's the, that's the kind of journey that I want. I want to just be me and let the world catch up. I don't have to like make excuses for who I am. And that, I see that in you, that you don't have that kind of like, well, at least it's not obvious. If it's there, it's not obvious that there's not that voice that's telling you to not be you. You're just you and the world will catch up. Yeah. And that, the reason for that is that I lived a very different life. I grew up in a very different environment than people did. Because when people tell me that, oh, how do you do this? How do you just wake up in the morning and try to live life to your fullest? I'm like, listen, the first 19 years I did it. And I keep counting. Like, I don't know how many years I have left on this earth. It's been five years since I've been in the States and I've had the opportunity to travel and feel liberated. So for me, like this is, if the clock is ticking, you know, we get one life. And if this is going to be my final life, then might as well just make the most of it. Because I think a lot of people who grew up with that freedom, for them, they take it for granted. They say, oh, this is my life and this is what it is. For me, that wasn't it. For me, the freedom was the goal. And once I got it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be my life now. Hmm. I really like that. The freedom was the goal. The freedom to be you was the goal. And now because of these circumstances, you've kind of allowed yourself to be Hamna, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not the stressed one, the free one, not the stressed one, <laughs> the, free the one. bird, the bird. There you go. The free bird. You know, that's actually beautiful. Birds fly high. I don't know. The, <laughs> what do you, what is your relationship to that concept of, you know, flying high of, of yeah. being a bird? What, what do you imagine is in your future? So I have very high expectations from myself and I'm sure everyone does, but for me, I, I can't settle for less. For me, I've decided, I, very honestly, if you ask me what I want to do exactly, I will not be able to tell you because I have no idea. But how I'm going to do it, the journey is going to be very interesting. And I know that. And whatever it's going to be, whatever I end up, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. And I already know that. But I just don't know how I'm going to end up there. So I, I have very high expectations of myself. I want to go to the best institution, get the best grades, do the best job. And what is the best job? I don't know. I, I realize it when I get it. <laughs> so, um, and there are probably more than like you could go through several or many. Uh, your generation, come on, you guys change jobs every few years. So you'll probably have yeah. many good jobs or best jobs. Hopefully, hopefully, inshallah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just need to be the best for some reason, which again, is also harmful in a lot of ways because when I'm not where I want to be, especially in college, which sounds pretty childish, but I remember when I didn't get the grade I wanted. And I was, by the way, I was a 19 year old human being. I was old enough to start crying. I would feel terrible. I would just go in my room and I would just think about my grade. And I would just go into this very dark place where I'm like, oh no, academics is my strong point. Socially at Trinity, I'm not going to, <laughs> but academ academics is all I have. So I need to excel in it. So for me, academia, I've had a very unhealthy relationship with academia where I've on paper, I've done very well, but mentally it's really affected me because I knew that I could have put in that effort, gotten those grades without me stressing over it as much as I did. And even to this day, I'm out of college now and I work now, but I'm applying to grad school and I have applied to grad school and I'm going to grad school actually. But for me, it's constantly like, oh, now I'm going to grad school. 
and I have to work on that as well. So yeah, it's like a constant stress. Hmm, that's stress in the name Hamna, right? No. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny how we we do tend to get very identified with one aspect of who we are. And, you know, we put all of our value of our, of our self-worth into that. You know, I hear you say, I am, I excel academically. That's who I am. So I would love to hear maybe something, a story of one time that you didn't excel and how, how that said, oh, if you guys could see her face, she just made this really kind of sad face. Those are the, those are those moments that it's maybe not so... No, those are the moments when it's really, I think, when we realize that challenging ourselves to become better is part of, uh, I'm looking for the question. I'm struggling with this question. It's okay. No, no I get you what know? you're saying. I, I know where you're coming from. I, so there was, when I came back from my study abroad program and I was back at Trinity, it was winter and winter in Connecticut is pretty harsh. As, I mean, as someone who came from Pakistan, for me, it was pretty harsh to be in Connecticut during January, February. And I remember being in a very dark place. I lived in a basement dorm. So my room was in the basement. And it was in, I didn't have, I had one window that was half covered. So I couldn't really see outside. And like I said, I'm a very like free person. I like windows. I like light. So I suddenly come back after, and I made this very terrible, terrible decision, very honestly. I came back and I'm in this basement room. And that's when I felt like I couldn't excel anymore, that I had made a huge mistake and I didn't do too well academically at that point. I didn't have a lot of friends at Trinity and that's one of the reasons why I also studied abroad. But when I came back, I started realizing that more like, oh, I am alone. And although I like being alone, this is, but this is not the alone I wanted. Mm. The alone I wanted gave me more mobility, gave me more freedom, gave me more the ability to talk to new people. But over here, I know everyone and I'm still alone in my room. So that was a very dark place where I feel like I didn't excel at all. I would just stay in my room for long hours. It was very unlike me, but I just didn't want to go out. I was like, it's freezing outside. It's always snowing here. How do people even make friends in this place when it's so cold? Like, how do you meet people? <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want to go to the dining halls. I would just stay in my room and just like sulk and uh, go to class if that. But I, I was just not in the best place. And I got out of it. When, for me, the weather is very important. I don't mm. know if this applies oh, yeah. to other people. But when spring hit, I was like, listen, I need to get my life together. But before that, I was just, you know, just in a dark place, just sulking. But, and that's fine. I told myself that it's fine. You know, sometimes you got to do that. I have so much energy and I keep exerting it. But I can't be happy all the time. And that is completely fine to sulk. And after I had done that sulking, I did very well. I was actually very happy. And I applied to internships in DC and I got one and I, had a wonderful time in DC, but it's very important to take that break for yourself and be sad. And I hadn't done that for a very long time at that point. So when I did that, I was like, oh, this is, this was building up inside me for the past couple of years. So I have to take it out some way. And I did, and it was fine. Yeah. It's like that sadness is natural. And when we, pro when we allow it to happen and to process it, then it actually, it kind of pushes us forward. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, and that's helped you to become the woman who is sitting right here with me now or sitting on the screen doing these amazing things. Thank you. I, I, I really think that you have a lot to say and that you have a lot of insights. I, I think one of the things that I notice is being um, an outsider where, you know, now pretty much wherever I go, I'm an outsider because I left the United States many years ago. So I'm an outsider there. I'm also in a way, an outsider here in Barcelona because I'm not from here. So 
I think one of the benefits of being an outsider is that you, we see things maybe from a different perspective. So I would yeah. love to hear you talk a little bit about maybe what are some of the things that you see that you would love other people to see maybe on, I don't know if you want to talk about things, you know, hot topics nowadays, like geopolitics or racism or bias or these things that maybe it's easier for you to see and that you wish people would just open their eyes and see. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a very good question. And that's, again, the privilege of being an outsider, that wherever you go, you notice these nuances and you want to point them out. But the people who already lived there, they're like, oh, it's always been this way. Oh, um, that's so frustrating that's, to that's hear. So frustrating. And <laughs> I, this, is what, this is what I realized when I left Pakistan and came back for summer break or winter break, that for me, my life was so natural. So like having, like people had domestic help. And for me, I was like, oh, that's natural. People have domestic help. And there was a lot of religious discrimination that I never talked about because I grew up as a Sunni Muslim. So I was like, you know, religious discrimination wasn't going to be a problem for me. There was a lot of classism. There was a racism wasn't an issue, but um, classism was. And of course, uh, what is that called? When your skin color is different, but you're not. But it's not race. There's a word for it. Like when there, you're lighter or when you're darker. Colorism? Or colorism, yeah. So think, colorism yeah. was definitely an issue at home as well. But these things are something that I would overlook because I didn't luckily experience them. But when I came back and we were, you know, for example, we went to a restaurant and the way people treated waiters, like, oh, where's my food? And, you know, they would shout at them and they would like point at them. And then I started to realize, like, this is kind of odd because I, I'm not saying that the American culture is in any way superior or better. But this was something that I did notice when I was in the States. And I was like, listen, that's, I think that's kind of odd and rude. And people around me were like, why do you think this is, you never thought this was odd and rude? And I said, well, now that I know there's something different than this, I know that this is not right. So for me, I started to notice things at home that I thought were very odd. So for example, a few women who graduated from my high school got married very early as soon as they graduated. And for everyone was natural, you know, they were like, oh, they're 19, they got married. It's natural. <laughs> but when I came back, I was just like, no, I, I think this is, does anyone ask them? And, and then did mm. anyone ask them if they wanted to get married? Who is this person? Do they know them? Because I knew them in high school. They didn't know that person at all. So these questions started to prop up. And that for some people, it was really annoying. They were like, listen, you're, you know, just don't put your American values on us. And I'm like, these are not American values. I feel like these are largely humanity values. And this is what you learn when you're traveling across the world. Like, this is right. This is wrong. But of course, I'm learning as well every day. Like, I, who am I to say what is right and wrong? But I think that that was very interesting as well. When I came to the States, of course, I saw so many issues, the way people talk to each other. So I had grown up in a very communal society, right? Everyone knew each other. Everyone was friends with each other in some capacity. Everyone was nice to each other. If you saw someone on the street, you'd be like, hi, how are you? I come to Connecticut and I say hi to people. And they're just like, I am <laughs> like, oh, I'm just saying, hi, how are you? What's your name? Because right. I get very close to people, which is wrong. I should like really understand personal space. But I, I used to get very close to people and say, no, no, but who are you and how are you? And they would just be in shock. Like these random Connecticut kids, they were like, who are you? Who are you? you and why are you asking me? Right. <laughs> so for me, that was very odd. And I wouldn't say, for some people, this might not be an issue. But the idea of individualism in the United States can also be very toxic in a lot of ways. And of course, I love being an individual and doing my own thing, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but I feel like a lot of people in the United States, especially people my age and my generation are very lonely because of this individualism. 
because of the fact that no, you have to be alone, you have to do your own thing, and yeah, 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 yeah. Because again, I like doing that, but I've seen people being so lonely because of that, because they're within that circle. That what's, makes sense. You know, what's I, I would love to hear your opinion on the difference between loneliness and solitude, because I mm-hmm. think there's an important nuance there, and I, I would love to hear your opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's a really good question. I think by lonely, I mean, for example, when you move to a new city, right? You, if you're always just secluded in your own space, then that some people could consider that solitude. But for me, I have I've known people, especially in DC, because of the pandemic, of course, largely the pandemic is also to blame, but who just refuse to leave their apartment, not only because of the pandemic, but also because they're like, oh, how, like, how would we do this? It's a new city. We moved during a pandemic. And I know for a fact that they're not particularly happy. They're like, oh, we're not extroverted. We're introverted when our time comes, we'll meet people. So for me, I feel like, and this is largely because of the individualism aspect as well. Everything is a race here, right? When you're trying to be so competitive, you're left alone. This is what I think. I'm not going to say that I'm not competitive. When it comes to academics, I am. But generally in life, I'm not like I, and let's all be successful. Let's all go up and be number one. All of us can be number one in some capacity. So for me, it was very odd where when I started, even when I started working here, when you started doing my full-time job, I realized it's a competition. Like how much work do you do versus how much work do you do? And then who's the most successful out of it? And I, I, my brain doesn't work that way because I'm like, oh, we are all successful in a way, right? We can all be number one at what we do. Yeah, because it's it's about being number one with myself, not comparing exactly. myself to others. Exactly, I feel like competition is the core of, or like, ultra competitive environments are the core of this issue. And even when I was applying to graduate school, these graduate schools. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the college admissions scandal documentary that came out on Netflix. Mm, tell me more. It's, so it's it's very interesting because it's basically about um, these very wealthy parents who pay off the schools to, so they could just you know take their kids. And I realized how many seats are being taken away from people who deserve it, how much financial aid is being taken away from people who deserve it. Because it's, it's ultra competitive, right? Like I, the colleges I was applying to, everyone in my major was also applying to, but we weren't sharing notes. It wasn't like, oh no, I, I'll tell you how much, GR, how, like people don't share their GRE score or their SAT score, which again, which seems normal maybe to an American, but back home, we would all be like, oh yeah, how much is, how was, uh, how much is your score? Okay, I'll help you out, you know? But over here, if I tell people my GRE score, like I don't know how they would react. They would be like, why are you telling me? This is not something you <laughs> tell people. Like People don't discuss these things here, if that makes sense. Because it's the whole idea of me being an individual and having my own thing and being competitive. Like, you're my competition. It's really amazing to hear you talk about this. It, you know, it's very clear. I think when, when you have seen different, when you've lived in a communal culture and when you've lived in an individualistic culture, you can really see the differences in how you know, there are certain things that might be helpful about being from those two types of cultures. And there are other things that are really unhelpful about being from those two types of cultures. And the fact that you can see kind of all like 360 degrees in both of those kind of, you can kind of say, Hey, well, I'll take this one from that culture and this one from that culture. And I'll, you know, make my own little way of being in the world, which actually takes from, you know, I have my own best practices that I learned here and there. And like, it helps you move forward in the world. Absolutely. Yes. Really cool. Speaking of I hope moving I answered forward, your question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this, this is really about just hearing you talk about being you. So anything that you say is like the perfect answer to the question. There's no <laughs> wrong answers. 
that's good. <laughs> Speaking of moving forward, I would like to hear, we're kind of rolling around towards the end of time. So I, I want to give enough time for you to talk about this because I think you have a lot to say. I like to ask guests to give listeners a challenge as to something maybe that, that we could all, tr- something simple, like anything simple that we can try in our own lives to become the best version of who we are, to really uh, explore our potential, to become like an agent of change in our own lives. So I feel like you really have, or you're doing a very good job of that. And I would love to hear something that you might challenge other people to do. What do you think is a way that we can, it could be something simple, like a five minute a day thing or a one-time journal prompt or whatever. What is a simple challenge you could give people for becoming more of who they are in the world and moving forward? I love this question because I already have an answer for it. I did not know you were asking this, but this is, I, I would recommend this to everyone, including you, if you want to do this. And I'm sure you've already done this, but something that I learned, and this is what I learned when I was studying abroad, that it's so much fun to go to a restaurant and eat alone. Mm, it's so interesting yes. to like go in, order your own food at your own time, do your own work and then leave. And this is not a cafe, by the way, because you can see people in cafes alone, in a restaurant, going into a restaurant, ordering your food, looking at the menu and then being alone and waiting and doing your thing. I think that's something I really cherished when I was studying abroad. And I really cherish now that I'm in DC, now that restaurants are open. I like going alone and ordering my food and waiting. And of course, there's an expectation. I feel like in the United States, not in Barcelona, but in the United States, people are like, you know, who else is joining you? I'm like, no, I'm joining myself. This is just me. <laughs> yes. This is just me and myself. <laughs> and I and it takes a lot of guts. Mm. It does. And it's a little bit hard because you don't want to be looked by looked at by people. But I, I mean, you'll never see those people again. Like, let them judge you. And they're probably not really looking at, I mean, they might glance your way, say, oh, look, she's there by herself. And then they'll go on with their lives. They're not on, paying exactly. attention to you. No one cares. No, no one, one cares. cares. So I would highly encourage anyone who's listening to this to go to a restaurant alone. And this might seem like a simple task, but it does take a lot of guts. And go to a restaurant, if possible. This is sort of like an additional task on it. You don't have to do it if someone doesn't. but Try a cuisine you've never tried. So recently, I although I had Afghan, Pakistani Afghan food when I was in uh, Pakistan, I've never tried like authentic Afghan food from, for example, like like a very Kabul or like an authentic Afghan restaurant. But there's one in DC, which is owned by Afghans as well. And I went there alone. And it was, it was lovely. And, you know, they were very friendly because they're like, oh, who are you? Like, you're here alone. And we had a really nice chat. And so you'll meet new people as well. So try to maybe try out a new cuisine while you're out trying to find a restaurant to eat alone at. <laughs> if you can't find a friend to go with you to a certain type of restaurant and you really want to try that cuisine, then, hey, take yourself out and have Absolutely. that meal. Absolutely. I have Pakistani food. I go to Pakistani restaurants all the time on my own. And that's completely fine. I think that's a really great challenge. And, you know, you say it, it can be hard to do, like it takes a lot of guts to do that. So what's that little piece of like, how could you maybe inspire somebody to take that little leap and just do it if they're like, oh my God, I don't have the guts to do it. What would you say to help them go? I think ask them to sort of rethink their fears. What are they fearful of? And then question that. So for example, one of the fears is I will be judged by people. And we talked about that. People don't care. Secondly, even if someone is actively judging you, you will never see them again. You will never, ever see them again. You're in a random restaurant. 
C, I feel like it's also just being judged by your friends. Like if you tell them like, hi, I actually, you know, went to a restaurant alone. If your friends are judging you, then that's their problem. Maybe you need to rethink that whole friendship. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, no, just try to like think about your fears and sort of characterize them. Like, okay, this is what I'm fearful of. Why am I fearful of it? Why should I not be fearful of it? And then once you maybe journal them down, maybe write it down. And through that, yes. you can also like to, you can also dig into like other fears you have about other things and try to overcome those. You know, as you were speaking about that, I was thinking, I would suggest maybe taking a journal with you to this restaurant to eat on your own to avoid the temptation of just being on your phone the whole time. Okay, well, while I'm here and feeling judged and judging myself, maybe I'll just journal about it. You know, that'll keep me, that'll keep me real with like how I'm feeling. Absolutely. It's also good to go back and look at that later and see how, you know, how I really felt while I was there by myself, judging myself and everybody, you know, thinking everyone was judging me. Yeah, I, I love people watching, which might be inappropriate mm. in some cultures, but I stare, <laughs> which is not nice. But I remember in Barcelona, when I would go out alone, I wouldn't have my phone and I would just be looking at <laughs> And that's, that, I didn't mean to stare at them, but I was just be like, you know, looking outside, looking at people walking, looking at people in the restaurants. And I really enjoy that. So if you're a people watcher, please go out alone on your own. It's so much fun. It's so much fun to like imagine the stories of these people that we're watching, right? I think it's a great challenge, Hamna. And it has been such a pleasure to have you here. I'm sorry. Like, I wish we could, I would continue talking for like hours and hours and I want to be mindful of your time. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And do you have any parting words, anything else that you'd like to say? Ryan, thank you so much for inviting me. This was exactly what I needed to start the morning. I have a lot of work today, but just talking about myself always, you know, makes me feel better. So, um, no, again, thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a fantastic initiative and I can't wait to listen to the other episodes as well because this, this has inspired me and I, this is something that I will think about. Good. Thank you, Hamna. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can feel the inspiration and passion that we put into this conversation and that it empowers you to be confident, compassionate, and courageous on your journey, on our journey, to becoming all of us. If you enjoyed that conversation and you'd like to hear more, please be sure to click on subscribe or follow to get your weekly dose of inspiration. And remember to stop by and rate us with a five-star rating on the App Store. Leave your comments below. Let us know what it is that you enjoy about these conversations so that we can bring more of them to you. And stop by Instagram to follow us at the Being All of Us podcast. B-A-O-U podcast. Thanks to the group Bombadil for our intro music, Avery, and to Scott Gratton for our outro music, Motown is Yotown. Come join us again next week for more. Until then, shine bright, you beautiful soul. You are the change the world needs. Go out and shine.